You're listening to Living Healthy Longer by the Columbine Health System Center for Healthy Aging. Hi, everyone. Today's episode is a bit different. I am going to be sharing with you an informal interview that I did with Drs. Jacqueline Stevens and Arlene Schmid from CSU's Department of Occupational Therapy. You might remember last summer we had an episode with Dr. Schmid where she told us about a feasibility study she was about to begin that looked at what happens in the brains of people with brain injury when they do yoga. So today's episode is an update on that study because Dr. Stevens just received a grant from the Betcher Foundation to expand their study and more participants. Now, just a note, this was, again, an informal conversation that I was not planning to use on the podcast, so the audio quality isn't exactly what you're used to. And finally, a small programming note about the podcast. We are going to be taking a summer break and will not be releasing new episodes in the coming weeks, but rest assured, we will be back this fall. Now I turn it over to my interview with Drs. Jacqueline Stevens and Arlene Schmid. They have some really fascinating ideas that they're testing in this study, so I hope you enjoy. I'm your host, Hannah Hallisker, and this is Living Healthy Longer, a podcast from the Columbine Health System Center for Healthy Aging at Colorado State University. So just tell me the basics. I mean, I think I recall that you got a grant from the College of Health and Human Sciences last year. Did you kind of use that as like a pilot grant for this study? Yeah, um, we're actually now, I think we had originally called it pilot. And I think we really were doing more feasibility. Like, can we do this? Um, We have a lot of new things happening at CSU, one of which is um, MRI. So magnetic resonance imaging for um, humans. So the scanner is primarily set up for animals. But um, yeah, we we wanted to get um, some human subject data. So part of the grant, so we did have the grant from the College of Health and Human Sciences, but we also had a pilot grant from uh, four human um, MRI studies. so we received both of those, and then we just really used the grants that we had to see that we could do this, and it worked out pretty well. We got, we got some solid data that are showing kind of what we expected to show, that yoga is helping people and things like that. We also had some really nice success with the scanning. Like, we were able to get most everyone scanned, even though we can only scan on Mondays which for the bigger grant, that's going to run in, that's going to cause some hiccups for us. So we're thinking through some of those things. Um, We were able to get some other type of brain imaging data using something called functional near infrared spectroscopy. Um, And we really created a new protocol for that so that we could do that with simultaneous balance performance. So these were just things that no one has ever done before. So it was really, um, really cool to be able to do them for the first time. Um, And with a small budget, we were able to get quite a bit. Um, And now we're at a much larger budget relative to the first one. And now this one is really what we're kind of conceptualizing is more of a pilot study 
um, with a control group. So we're calling this like a pilot randomized control group control trial. We'll have two groups that get different types of interventions. So one will get yoga, one will get something else, um, which is just a compare comparable exercise that is not yoga. Um, and Arlene can say more about that comparison exercise group because she helped to develop it. But we're really moving into, you know, starting to be able to see if we can see meaningful changes in the participants in both brain and behavior. Yeah, so so I would add, um, even before the control, we have been doing yoga research for about 15 years. And so this wasn't like a first step. This is one of many, 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 many steps. So um, we started with, um, my team is one of the only groups doing yoga for people with disabilities. Most yoga research is for young, healthy adults and um, showing we can change behavior in the brain. Um, but we did a small study over a decade ago, well over a decade ago now, that was just three individuals just to see if they could even do yoga. So that's that feasibility of the yoga. Um, and then here at CSU, also through um, a mini grant from the college, I don't know, maybe seven, six or seven years ago, we did group yoga with folks with brain injury. And I've done a lot of work with groups, group in yoga and stroke. And then um, Jacqueline and I in that last grant kind of took it to the next step. Yes, we know they can do yoga. We know we can deliver it in a safe manner to folks with some pretty severe disability. And we knew we saw improvements in balance and then other outcomes as well. And so then we took it to this next level of adding the imaging. And uh, again, like Jacqueline said, the next study is a larger sample size with a control group. Um, and it really, it'll be the first study in the world that is using imaging for brain injury after yoga. Um, so we know, I can say we know yoga works, but we really don't know why yoga works. And so this is, we know a little bit about why yoga works, but this is trying to understand it better, but then trying to understand it in a diagnostic population who has lesions in their brain, um, but we can see change in the brain, which is really exciting. And we see change in the brain for people who had a stroke or a uh, traumatic brain injury or acquired brain injury a decade ago, right? Speaking to the ability of neuroplasticity that the brain can change um, with time, with intervention, which is really exciting for uh, folks in rehab therapy or rehab sciences. And then for the control group, we are we de developed this exercise component for a prior study with Heather Leach out of Health Exercise Science. And so essentially we are matching yoga for time and energy expenditure. So it is very light exercise. Um, so it, it's based on metabolic output of what we see in yoga, which is very low, right? We are um, doing seated yoga quite a lot. We do get them to standing and floor, but um, it's pretty low metabolic expenditure. So the exercise is also very low. And specifically, it does not include things like moving with breath. So breath and movement, which is a key component of yoga. We make sure we don't talk about that at all in the exercise component. So it's matched for time. It's matched for uh, the place that we do it in. And it is matched for time with an interventionist and then matched for heart rate. Um, but hopefully it's, it's probably still really helpful for people who have a sedentary lifestyle and had a stroke or a brain injury who haven't been doing much, but it's, um, probably we won't see the same changes that we see after yoga. 
Yeah, so tell me a little more about that. What did you what have you seen from past studies? You said you know a little bit what happens to the brain. So what is that little bit that you know? So in healthy populations, we know we see an increase in gray matter in the brain and we see increased connectivity in the brain. And then we also see um I'm not sure the right word to use, but um uh, essentially hormonal changes and um, a reaction in the nervous system as well so that we know that yoga essentially breath work and the diaphragm the use of the diaphragm um, compresses the vagal nerve and really helps relax the body and so we know those things are happening um, but we're not um, so we know that but we don't really know much more about what's going on in the brain or specific areas of the brain um, and, and again pretty much all of that work is in typical healthy adults a lot of times college students in fact because <laughs> college students are around. And Jacqueline, you might have something to add to that about what we're looking for specifically in this group. Yeah, so we, we have some hypotheses about what regions in the brain are likely to change because of the movements that we're doing. So because there's so much emphasis there's quite a bit of emphasis. I wouldn't say so much emphasis, particularly in this population when we're adapting things. We're really making it so people can engage in all of the yoga postures without risk of falling. So you may not see that challenge and balance at the same level that you would in like a yoga class that you take, you know, a yoga pod or whatever, name your yoga studio in Fort Collins, right? Um, however, because there is still an emphasis on balance, there are specific regions of the brain that are particularly involved in balance. Um, there's a couple regions of the brain that have that are superficial, so like closer to the top of your head, <laughs> um, that are really important because the functional near infrared spectroscopy is only able to measure about three centimeters deep into the brain right now. There are advancements trying to get into deeper brain structures, but right now we're really limited to superficial cortical structures. And so there's a few of those that are associated with balance and we are assuming that if balance changes, there's probably going to be changes in those superficial cortical structures. And then what the MRI allows us to do is do a whole brain evaluation. So we can look at all of the brain at rest or possibly even during a task. We might be introducing a task into that with some collaborators that we're working with at the University of Colorado. Um, but the cerebellum, right? The cerebellum is a big piece that we know that we think about when we think about balance. We've got an entire motor network. Um, and what we understand about brain injury is that networks within the brain, the network itself often has disruption. So the network itself is kind of broken or and or that network is incorrectly connecting to other parts of the brain that may or may not support performance. So a lot of what we see that's different in brain injury, I'm really cautious to say that different is bad because it could be the healing process, right? Your skin, when it has a scar on it, is still impenetrable to like water, right? The scar is different, but it's still protecting you because um, it's how your body healed after an injury. So I don't want to say that something that we see in the brain that looks different is necessarily bad, but that's why the behavioral assessments are so essential. If we can say like your balance was X and X places you at a risk of fall and now it's Y, 
and we can say, oh, your brain was X and now it's Y. That gives us some insights into change that's happening in a positive direction that's supporting performance. So it's really that combination of brain and behavior that's so essential for us to understand. The only thing I would add that we really don't know how to measure at all, but seems to happen in study after study is, this is a little bit of me on a soapbox, but I think it's what is happening. So I think people with a disability or after an event or injury or disability, um, there's a trauma there and they're kind, they kind of will maybe purposely or, or it just happens detach from their body. So kind of have a mind body disconnect. And so an easy example is if someone has a stroke and their arm, their uh, hemiparetic limb, their arm or their leg, and they can't move it, they can't feel it, it doesn't do what they want them to do. They get really angry at that limb and they kind of are like, well, I don't care about that limb anymore. It, it doesn't do what I want it to do. And they kind of become disconnected from it. And yoga really helps or seems to help reconnect. And we say that all the time, right? Like the mind-body connection. But I think we do see it after injury, after um, disability like this, that they, um, we don't talk about this at all, but they kind of forgive their body. They are more okay with where they are in life, more okay with where they are in their body. And because of that, I think we actually do see some enhanced recovery with time once they're kind of like reconnected again in the way that um, we're meant to be, right? We're meant to be a connected being with our mind and body. And so yoga does seem to help that. It enhances awareness. And um, we have literally no idea how to measure a mind-body disconnect, but I definitely <laughs> hear it in study after study. And, and they, of course, don't use that language, but I would say that that's part of what's happening um, we just can't measure it at all right now. But I do think it is part of the healing process for folks with disease or disability. And, and we are getting there a little bit with this brain behavior thing, right? The brain behavior is like the closest that you can get to this mind body because the mind is this more or less abstract it's like the soul right yeah. like how are, we, how are we measuring that in a way that scientists aren't going to laugh us out of a room but you know this this totally makes sense and the the qualitative information that we've gotten from people does suggest all of the things that Arlene was just saying. And so if we can find something measurable, even if it's like the default mode network, which is a region that's related to like self-reflection and it's your, your regions of your brain that are most active when you're at rest. And it's kind of like when you're daydreaming and things like that, if you have a better connectivity within that and your body's moving better, you know, there, there are ways that we can kind of tie some of these neural networks to functional movement. And then, you know, the, I think there's a, there's a crowd, there's an audience that'll jump all over this and we can call it the mind body connection for them. And then there's neuroscientists who may be, are not going to love that language. And so we'll, we'll call these like, you know, relationships between brain and behavior. And so I think, um, I think this is a really cool project because it does kind of force us to think like scientists, but also keep in mind the non-scientific experience of the people and what it feels like for them and value that and try to document that in some way that's um, logical. I love this. This is so cool. <laughs> we love it too. We're so excited.
It's just, it's, I see what you're saying. This has never been done before. And I've never heard of something like this before. And I think some people might listen to this and be like, oh, this is, this is woo woo. This is kind of <laughs> out there. <laughs> but I love it. This is so fascinating that you're, you have these tests and these measures that you can get a little bit closer to understanding. Yeah, mm -hmm. thanks. We're excited about it. And, um, yoga and what we can call now complementary and integrative health or rehab or techniques at one point really used to be something that people would do as a last result and they would kind of say i've tried everything else and now i'll try your woo woo crazy hippy dippy thing and now we are really truly trying to integrate practices like this into therapy into medicine into practices here in america um slowly but surely right it's happening as we develop evidence like jacqueline and i are trying to do here so it's definitely happening um and there are definitely people who would never in a million years try yoga but i would personally encourage everyone to try yoga and see what happens yeah i mean i've run so many trials for almost two decades now and every single study has a positive result every single time I can say people improve, they get better in many different outcomes, um, which is pretty good for um, uh, usually twice a week for eight weeks, uh, so 16 hours of intervention, and we see quite a lot of change. So it's been pretty exciting for many years now. And, and Arlene won't say this about herself, so I'm going to say this. Like, the reason that, thing, that things like yoga are moving from the woo-woo to, like, a more evidence is because of researchers like her. Her work in creating this foundational evidence is what's moving this to, to you know, being valued by the scientific community. I mean, this grant is a biomedical research grant. Yeah. Like, this, it's not a, like let's throw something. This is, you know, it's a really hard science element. And because we have all the hard science measurement pieces alongside of something that's much more holistic, it was valued. So it's it's really, it's really such an um, amazing representation of how this is being valued now. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there because I don't think Arlene was going to say that about herself. <laughs> Oh, that's so great. Yeah, I'd love to see the advancement of science happening like right before our eyes. So <laughs> yeah, it's cool, right? Yeah. One more clarifying question. I'm assuming that you're doing brain imaging before and after the intervention, correct? So can you just explain just briefly what that design is going to look like? So we right now we are intent, we, we have definite plans to do resting state fMRI. Um, so it's uh, task independent. We just look at how the brain is connected within itself and within networks and across networks and across regions um, when we can look at that before and after. We may also do an experimental fMRI where they do a task in the scanner. Um, these would be very preliminary kind of, um, explore, sorry, not preliminary, exploratory type of approaches um, because we have done the resting state before. We know that it's feasible. We know we can acquire good data. Um, when you ask people to do a task in the scanner, you can sometimes introduce motion artifacts, which can degrade the quality of the data. So a lot of the time, not all the time, but sometimes with clinical populations, especially if they have some movement issues, that can be more difficult to get that kind of data um, at a high quality in the scanner. Um, but the other thing that we're planning on doing is the balance testing with simultaneous FNIRs. So this is really 
um, this is really my kind of, this is my baby. This is, this is the thing that I feel like, um, is the skill set that I'm really developing. And again, blends that OT and neuroscience perspective. I want to see brain activity when people are doing functional movements. Now, a balanced posture isn't as functional as, you know, balancing while you're picking up your grandkid, but it's getting us a lot closer than this abstract, you're thinking about doing balance while you're lying perfectly still in a scanner. So the functional near-infrared spectroscopy with the balance testing will be done before and after, um, and we'll mimic exactly what we did in the feasibility work. And again, that is scanning over um, only a few regions of the brain. We can't get the whole brain. We can't get deep brain structures, but we've systematically explored exactly, or we systematically determined where we want to measure. And we're going to be measuring over those superficial cortical regions that have been associated with balance. So that is the plan with the FNIRS and balance testing. And really, you know, uh, there's not a lot of people doing a lot of movement-based stuff with NIRS. We're moving forward in that um, capacity. There are more mobile paradigms being developed all the time, but we're kind of on the um, on the edge of that, like on the leading edge of that. It's uh, it's a really cool way to um, to apply neuroscience techniques to movements that we really care about as OT rehab professionals. Yeah. So yeah. great, great segue, Jacqueline, because my next question is, tell me about the grant. So it's it's from the Betcher Foundation. What's the name of the grant? Like what were what were some of the requirements you had to throw in there and and how much is it? Things like that. Sure. Yeah. The Betcher Biomedical Foundation. It's actually the Betcher Web Wearing. The Web Wearing was, I think, a school at CU Boulder, you'll have to fact check me on that, but it was like a biomedical institute. And then when they kind of dissolved, they kind of uh, um, allocated, I think, some funding through the Betcher Foundation. So the Betcher Foundation does a lot of um, financial support of people, um, including early career investigators. So this is the early career investigator um, award. They give about six to eight of these a year um, to um, to early career investigators, so people within about five years of their faculty appointment at various Colorado schools, so Boulder, Anschutz, um, CSU. This is the first year, to my knowledge, that CSU has been allocated two of the awards, and because we have a biomedical school, a lot of the previous awardees were at the biomedical school, so that makes sense. Um, and a lot of the work has been focused on animal science. So a lot of like preclinical models um, of disease or um, drug trials or things like that in an animal model to see how it would potentially help humans. Um, however, the definition of it was that it could help humans, right? So we're like, we're in the human model. Like I know we're not preclinical, but we're with the humans. This will help human, this will advance human health. So we really, you know, leaned into their definition to talk about how our project aligned with their mission and their vision, um, and we were successful. This is the fourth time I had applied. So I applied, didn't make it to the um, invited proposal my first time, and this is the third invited full proposal that I 
submitted. So persistence really paid off here. But it's $235,000. We've allocated that over two years. It can go up to three years. But we are hiring a postdoctoral fellow, which um, takes us, you know, a pretty substantial amount of the budget and um, put us in that two-year time frame. But that also really aligned well with the science, um, allowing us to run two cohorts of interventions um, with about 12 people doing yoga, about 12 people doing the control in a cohort that will happen in the spring semester of 23, and then um, another cohort in the fall semester of 23. We really wanted to align it with the academic year so that we could incorpor like incorporate student researchers. I have about five to 10 undergraduate researchers who are in my lab at any given time. And um, we also support a number of OT students they used to be master's thesis students. We will be moving into the OTD, so they'll likely be OTD students. Um, and you know, we 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 really wanted to not only use this to advance our work, but also to advance the the training, the knowledge, the understanding of the students who work with us. Um, and so it was intentionally locked to this school year. Um, that makes things work well for us. And the students, of course, are helpful. It's not, we're not just helping them, they're helping us, right? It's it's quite symbiotic. They they are there to support the yoga classes, the assessments, and all the things that we do with the participants, um, along with the research team that we outlined in the grant. So, so what I was going to add too, because Center of Healthy Aging, right? So um, I don't quite off the top of my head know the average age of this last group, but um, you know, because because we are including folks with any brain injury, so acquired brain injury, that is traumatic brain injury, like a car accident, but it's also people who have stroke and other events. And so that really increases our mean age typically. And so we're so grateful that we're able to use the space at the Center for Healthy Aging because it's essentially perfect for what we're doing, right? Like, it's nice. It has windows. We're able to do yoga, get on the floor where you have great chairs and all of those things. So just wanted to add a shout out about um, the fact that you all really supported that pilot and hopefully this next round as well. But the space to do yoga in there is just lovely. And um, we've kind of I've kind of hopped around Fort Collins in different spaces Um to accommodate people wanting to be on the max line and have parking and have space where we can spread out. Um, and so it was really perfect for us. So I do, we do really appreciate that and um, really enjoy working with all of you. So, um, and, and as we start recruiting again, it will include folks with stroke and other injuries. So we'll certainly be um, supporting our older adults in the community. Yeah, there really is some some ingenuity between where that, that our center is located. It's <laughs> so perfect. Yeah, we love it. We love it. We love that we are so lucky to have that space and we were put there on CSU's campus. And it's just so perfect for what you're saying. Transportation wise, there's a parking lot that's free, yeah. the max line that's free. So, yeah. yeah it's really so nice and that we had storage because I will say like yoga interventions are great, but they take up a lot of equipment and storage, um, storage capacity, right? With all the yoga mats and blocks and belts and props and everything um, is quite an endeavor. So we really appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Happy to help anytime we can. So Thanks. 
I guess last question, just kind of like future directions and recruiting oriented. How can people get in touch if they want to sign up for this study? Um, you know, and then maybe some more details about what you're looking for out of the design of the, the study. I have a lab email address that people can use to contact yeah. if they're interested. They're welcome to contact us at any time. Yeah. Um, I will put their names into a list that I already have a few people who wanted to sign up for the feasibility study, but we had already started, so we weren't able to include them. Um, so I can get you that email address um, as well. Um, I will say, and then I'll let Arlene speak to this um, I was I was actually interviewed about this yesterday in a different format, but I think big picture, one of the things that I miss about being a clinician is, you know, I would go to work and I would help someone, you know, and I really love my job as a researcher. I love working with students and I do feel that the, this, the work that I do is valuable, but it's just not that same kind of immediate thing of like, you help someone, right? But I think as researchers, we're called to this kind of higher level where we try to figure out ways to improve the lives of not just the one-on-one -on -one interaction we have with, with individuals, but, but globally. Like for all of the rehab professionals, including OTs that are out there, boots on the ground every day, who need interventions that work in their toolbox, we want to add to their toolbox and we want to make sure that what we're giving them is a good intervention and that it works and we know why it works. And so I think, you know, big picture, we want to see this happening in Fort Collins, of course. We want to expand it to other places beyond, within and beyond Colorado. Um, I anticipate that if we have uh, good outcomes, which we, which we expect, um, that we can expand this um, probably down in Boulder and Anschutz and then beyond, you know, to universities across the United States and really build a body of evidence that shows, of course, that yoga is working, but why it's working so that insurance companies are more likely to support this and allow people who are in a chronic phase or an acute phase of brain injury to have something that they can do to to get better. Because I think one of the reasons it's so great that we're working a lot of times with older adults um, that are in a chronic phase of a brain injury or a stroke is that they're kind of, they kind of feel stuck. And if we can create opportunities, not just here in Fort Collins, but world, even worldwide that allow people to continue to make gains, even if they're 10, 15, 20 years out from their injury, I think that's where we're going to see a lot of um, big picture improvement, right? And so maybe I don't get the day-to-day, -day, like I get to see somebody improve, but I, I know that the work that we're doing is helping lots of people improve. Um, and that's really where I feel called to be a researcher. So on that note, I'm going to grab uh, the contract. Great. Yeah, but I really agree with Jacqueline. Like we get to see the data. So we don't only see the person, but we get to see the data and see their balance score change or hear them qualitatively say things like you this changed my life. Um, and, and now we don't get to hear that all that often and agreed. Like one of my life goals is to provide the evidence to support insurance to pay for things like yoga. And I would just add, I just happened to 
be doing something with us today. I just published a book that is Integrative Rehabilitation Practices that is all about yoga, mindfulness, breath work, biofeedback, nutrition, but how therapists can really integrate that into practice. Um, and it's really evidence-based. And so it's so nice because it's it's really happening. It's just happening a little slowly and um, not necessarily always paid for, but people are figuring out ways to make that happen. Um, so I do think for me, that has been a long-term goal, although that's been a long-term goal for like 20 years. So it's still, it's still happening. Um, and then thinking of the study, we are like not officially recruiting it, but we would love people to start contacting us. Um, the first cohort of folks who will receive yoga will be in the springs. Um, again, like Jacqueline said, we're very much based on the semester due to students. Um, but if they would like to be in the study, they can reach out to us and we'll be looking for folks with any kind of a brain injury. So a stroke, a traumatic brain injury. Um, so something from a car accident, anoxia, anything, they can reach out to us. And I think we say um, self-reported balance impairment. Is that right? We'll have a research assistant who's hired in about October who will be doing the follow-up contact. So if they if they email us now, fantastic. And we'll we'll say we've got your information. Someone will be reaching out to you later in the fall to screen and then potentially schedule you for this study. So that's that's kind of what people can anticipate. Any, any final thoughts, anything you want to add that I haven't asked you or I don't know some inspirational quote of like, you know, what you're looking forward to from the study or what you're hoping to find? I mean, I'm hoping at the end of the day, we keep hearing comments from people like, you changed my life and uh, everything's better. And, and some of them really want to know what's happening in their brain. And some of them are just happy it happened. Um, but I love when we can show them change and they can tell us all about their change and their improvement. Um, but if we can see what's happening in the brain, that'll just add so much to the science and the literature. It's just really, really exciting to be part of it all. Yeah, I get really excited when I get to look at the brain. I mean, I and it feels really exciting for me from a career development standpoint. You know, I was trained as an OT, I was trained as a neuroscientist, and I tried for, like I struggled for a few years to feel like I could integrate those in a way that was meaningful. And I feel like I'm there now. I really feel like my OT lens is fully in place with this study and my neuroscience lens is fully in place. You know, instead of feeling like I'm wearing two hats, I feel like I finally have the hat that integrates <laughs> the different training that I have. And, you know, I'm I'm just with with something like everyone is susceptible to brain injury, which is a really scary and crummy kind of thing to have. But if we can understand how the brain is and then recovers, and the more and more that we do this, we, we can make these huge strides in science. So anytime we do a study where we look at people with brain injury, either, either before and after an intervention or just at one time point, we just learn so much more. And we move that needle a little bit further and we make it easier for those who are um, providers for people with brain injury to really feel like what they're doing is meaningful. Because I remember when I was a clinician working with brain injury, I'm like, I really hope what I'm doing is helping, you know, because the brain is brain is really smart. If you train one area, it's going to take from another. So we really want to make sure that we're 
providing things that are great for these people, that are meaningful for these people, and that their brains are changing in a way that's healthy and adaptive and is going to support their long-term health. Oh, I love that. I, I can I can see that you're building something great <laughs> just from what the way you're talking about it. <laughs> that is the goal. Yeah. It yeah. is really fun and exciting. And, and I would say I was an OT in the clinic for five years and I left the clinic to do research on yoga and see if it works and how it works for people with disabilities. And now I get to do that every day. And so, um, you know, 20 years later, it feels like, oh, good life choice. And it's actually happening. And so it's really exciting to see it because 20 years ago, people told me this was ridiculous. Don't ever say that out loud again. It's not going to happen. And, you know, here we are. Um, like so past the point of is yoga feasible but now you know again the why is happening and really being able to to see what is going on in the body and the brain so yeah it's just good stuff thank you guys for sitting with me for 45 minutes and telling me all about it i'm really excited for you guys i am so excited about this for you guys Thank you for listening to this episode of Living Healthy Longer, a podcast from the Center for Healthy Aging at CSU. Remember to follow us on social media at CSU Healthy Aging and visit our website at healthyaging.colostate.edu. We will see you next time.